As promised, this morning we will be speaking from uh, Brahma Samhita. And um, <clears throat> we'll speak a little bit from the first verse of the text. The history of the text, however, is also worth mentioning. And by way of doing so, we can also engage in the glorification of Sriman Mahaprabhu, Sri Chaitanya Dev, Guranga Mahaprabhu Kijai. We have this book, the fifth chapter of the Brahma Samhita, which is said to uh, consist of a hundred chapters uh, because of. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu hmm. is described by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami that during his tour of South India Chaitanya Mahaprabhu visited the ancient temple of Adikeshava and there he found this fifth chapter of the Brahma Samhita and it brought him great uh, ecstasy to read the contents and along with another book Krishna Karnam Karnamritam he returned to uh, Jagannath Puri and then shared these books with the devotees. And about Brahma Samhita, he said, Siddhanta Shastra Nahi, Brahma Samhitar Sam, Govinda Mahima Gyaner Paramakaran. Siddhanta Shastra Nahi Brahma Samhita Sam. There is no book, no Shastra that uh, in equal measure so concisely presents the uh, scriptural conclusions as Brahma Samhita. It consists of the glories, the, the knowledge of the glories of Govinda. Hmm? Something like that. So he had much uh, uh, appreciation for the book. Krishna Skaviraj Goswami uh, describes that he would undergo transformations of ecstasy upon reading the text. <coughs> But it is a book that is, as as mentioned, uh, uh, one that focuses on the tattva or the siddhanta rather than the bhava of uh, our tradition, our sampradaya. These two components are there, the tattva and the bhava. 
And generally it's thought that by becoming well-versed in the tattva or the scriptural conclusions, the theoretical um, understanding of the teachings, one will be better informed to uh, participate in practice and tread the path and arrive at the desired result of bhava or ecstasy. Hmm? The Siddhanta is, is an effort to convey the, I want to say the, uh, the knowledge, the theory that uh, underlies the ecstasy. Something like the canvas on which the um, uh, artist may make his or her painting and express um, their idea, their feeling, their sentiment. So the canvas is very important. And thereby, as I say, as it behooves us to try to understand this Siddhanta, that will better facilitate us for treading the path and uh, make more likely our success in terms of entering into the world of ecstasy. Hmm. Where all the goings-on of Govinda, if you will, Krishna are uh, conducted into the world, of veritable world of ecstasy. And so, uh, this is a good book then to start with because it uh, so concisely uh, focuses on this uh, Siddhanta. Jiva Goswami was perhaps the first to write a commentary on the text. Later commentary was written by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. That commentary was rendered in English by Bhakti Siddhanta, kind of an old English rendering. And most of the devotees have, have some acquaintance with that, uh, that edition. It's been published by different sects. In, uh, in recent years. But Jiva Goswami penned his commentary long before that, and that was probably, as I say, the first commentary on uh, the Brahma Samhita. He attested to the fact that it was uh, um, originally consisted of a hundred chapters, again, of which the fifth chapter the only, seems to be the only surviving um, chapter. And um, he wrote in his preliminary comments to his commentary that he would comment on the book in a way that was in uh, in concert with how he had written his famous treatise Krishna Sandarbha, and 
appropriately so because the Krishna Sundarbha is an essay, a treatise, focusing on this one a key point of Siddhanta that is said to unlock the whole um, uh, key to unlocking the, the the understanding of the uh, scriptural conclusions of Srimad Bhagavatam. That one line is Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Diva Goswami called this the Pariba Sutra of the Srimad Bhagavatam. The sutra means like a uh, like a how would you say like a, like an aphorism like a, um, a, hmm? a string. yeah a string but I mean it's like a code like a um, like a uh, like a password <laughs> I want to say it's like the password to understanding the tattva uh, of Srimad Bhagavatam uh, kind of a, uh, it's a thread that that really then as in other words sutra means thread that runs through the whole book hmm? the implications of which run through the whole book and it, of course the translation of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam means that Krishna hmm, is the uh, fountainhead of all manifestations of divinity. It's a strong statement to make in our pluralistic times. Uh, of course, it was made a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, we make it today as, as well, and uh, not with the intent of diminishing um, any other god or goddess, but uh, to look at the whole uh, affair of divinity's man prominent manifestations within the world that we know of with an objective eye and identify them for what they are in terms of what they speak about, how they are graphically depicted and so forth, which give some implication as to as to what aspect of of the absolute they they represent hmm? for example you have the buddha this is uh, a manifestation of divinity that's prominent in the world and by his own um explanation of himself the buddha represents the wisdom as to the nature of suffering in the world. And this is the ex ex exclusive focus of the Buddha. The world is about suffering and how to, how to end it. So, you can ask yourself whether that is the sum and substance of, of knowledge, hmm? Uh, the, the final word, or or not? If we go to the the Christ, we have the example of sacrifice, great sacrifice. Uh, 
um, in sac- sacrifice is kind of the, the the womb from which love is born. We could say. Hmm. At the heart of love is is sacrificing, giving, giving up. Hmm oneself, giving of oneself, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So very, in the Christ we have the very overt manifestation of sacrifice. And it speaks loudly to us um, about kind of love in its infancy, in a sense, or, or love at its, at its, let's say, its foundation. Mm-hmm. But we also know that as love develops and thickens, becomes more fully manifest, um, it it uh, it's devoid of suffering, lost in uh, in love. We um, we don't feel any pain. We call it a labor of love. Hmm. For example, so the deity that is depicted as engaged in an extreme uh, sacrifice does not speak to us about the full face of love. The sacrifice is the pain of is so prominent in that manifestation that it does not speak to us about the entirety of love. When we come to Krishna, for example, we find uh, a very different uh, picture of the Absolute. So different from the, the, the wisdom depicted, for example, in the Buddha and the sacrifice depicted in, in uh, Christ, that it's uh, often misunderstood what it is that depiction, that person, that form of divinity represents in its fullness. So the Brahma Samhita seeks to unfold that. Hmm? The Srimad Bhagavatam seeks to unfold that, explain that to us. Hmm? And uh, it begins by telling us Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? It wants to say, look carefully at this, Look again. Hmm? It might look like one thing, hmm? but it's uh, even profane. Hmm? But actually, it is the heart of divinity. Hmm? Um, from from which all other manifestations of divinity uh, emanate. Hmm? I was, uh, I've told the story before, but I was asked um, by one of my students who had met someone of the Christian faith, was challenged, actually, that uh, uh, Jesus was, he said, was such a perfect example of selfless giving, sacrifice, and love that he was obviously a better candidate for God than Krishna, who was, is uh, depicted as an enjoyer. Um, 
and a, really a just a taker. <laughs> and um, so I replied that if there is to be a giver and a sacrificer, there has to be a taker on the other end. And of course, as we'll see from the explanation of the Brahma Samhita, as it turns out, the taker becomes also the biggest giver at the same time. So it takes a little bit of... Uh, about 18,000 verses <laughs> of Srimad Bhagavatam to explain this uh, to us and still it, it, it may be missed and misunderstood and uh, for this reason Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very much liked the Brahma Samhita because it was so direct in its um, focus on this particular point explaining Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, that Krishna is the supreme uh, Godhead. And there in the book, in later texts, later verses, uh, Krishna is explained in relation to different manifestations of divinity, uh, this within Hinduism, in relation to the Ganesh, in relation to Shiva, in relation to Indra, to Brahma, hmm? even to uh, Narayana and so forth, various manifestations of divinity, hmm? so that they're understood in perspective in relation to Krishna, not that they are minimized by such hmm? in any way, but their full full glory, so to speak, is, is, is brought out. Hmm? People often glorify these different gods and goddesses and approach them, uh, for different things by different methods without ever examining carefully what methods of approach these gods and goddesses themselves have have um, recommended, asked for, and what type of results they offer. In other words, they had not examined the sadhana or the sadhya in relation to various manifestations of divinity for example, within Hinduism, uh, where there are many um, depictions of different degrees or manifestations of divinity. A simple example of what I'm saying here is that uh, it's popular in the contemporary spiritual but not religious community uh, for example, in the yoga community of the world, to perform kirtan as we do, Krishna kirtan, but to perform kirtan for Shiva, for Ganesh, for Kali, and so on and so forth. Hmm? But actually, um, kirtan is a limb of the body of bhakti. It's not a limb of yoga. Hmm? Yoga as a Ashtanga yoga, for example, uh, detailed in the Yoga Sutras. It's not a limb of the, the path of knowledge, the Gyanmarg. Hmm? 
but it is a limb and a prominent limb. And in the present time and circumstance, we call Kali Yuga, it is the most prominent limb of the bhakti mark, of the body of bhakti, the path of bhakti. Shiva doesn't ask for kirtan in his name. Kali doesn't ask for that. Ganesh doesn't say, just, just chant my name and I'll be there. He doesn't say that. <laughs> These things are said to some extent by Narayan, by Vishnu, such things, but very prominently by Krishna. Hmm? Satatam kirtayantomam, he says. It's this, my devotees, they're always chanting about me. Hmm? He says, in another place, what is that verse? Aham vaikunta tishtami, yoginam hrdayeshuva. I am not in vaikunta, the paravyom, the spiritual world. Neither I am in the hearts of the yogis, O Narada, but whatever my devotees are chanting my name, I am present there. These kind of statements are made by Krishna. And the practice of kirtan most uh, comprehensively applies uh, to him as a uh, sadhana, a practice. And so the Brahma Samhita very nicely kind of sorts out the principal gods and goddesses in relation to Krishna or Govinda. Um, and uh, helps us to understand them in perspective that we might approach them hmm, on their terms for the things that they have to offer. Hmm if need be, if so desired. And it also thereby teaches how we may glorify them in such a way that they will be most pleased in relation, that means to say, to their source in the context, in, with context, so as I say, um, um, it's not about belittling different manifestations of divinity and making less of them, but by understanding them in context, we find the more in them. Whereas taking them out of context, making Ganesh the supreme, hmm? uh, and glorifying him as such, desirous of that which he has no capacity to um, to to bestow hmm. this doesn't uh, uh, do much for Shiva's elephant headed son hmm. Esha, for example he's the he's the he's the Asia of the common people hmm. Common people means who have the common desires for material acquisition. And in India, every businessman has the deity of Ganesh hanging in the store that the business might flourish. 
something like this. This is the common desire of the common people to acquire. Hmm? So he's the Gona Esha. He's the Isha. He's the Ishwar. Hmm? For the common people means the common desires. Hmm? When we understand them properly in the context of the uh, Brahma Samhita, for example, we find more. We find he's actually a devotee himself of one of the forms of Krishna, uh, Narasimhadev. And uh, we, we see a higher side of him and so on and so forth. So, so it, in this way, it's a very nice book. And while emphasizing in no uh, uncertain terms the supreme position of Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan, the beauty in doing that is that everyone else in the in the Hindu pantheon, the, the devas and devis, the gods and goddesses and so forth, um, take their rightful place in context and the most that they're about is brought out and in effect they are uh, glorified in a more comprehensive, becoming, accurate, and beautiful way than they are when they are not understood in context. Hmm? Uh, which which uh, could be displeasing to them for that matter and be counterproductive. Hmm? So Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam misses a very important uh, statement. We find that Prabhupada had a way of weaving it through all of his books by repeatedly invoking in English this phrase, Krishna, <laughs> he's there, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He would say this over and over and over again. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So this means Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So he wove this through all of his books. This was a, this was a concerted effort on his part hmm, to uh, uh, take this Paribas Sutra, this password that on locks the key for understanding the whole of of divinity in all really his uh, manifestations hmm? and uh, as i say thread it through his whole uh, all of his writing hmm? and uh, and so brahma samhita focuses on this in a concise way that uh, is impossible to misunderstand. Jiva Goswami labored in his Krishna Sandarbha to make the point that this one line was the password to understanding the real uh, uh, essence of the, uh, of the Siddhanta. He, he labored hard to make this point because it's one little line found in thousands and thousands of verses and uh, 
there are other uh, schools of thought studying the Bhagavatam that could not sort out hmm, the significance of this one line. So a huge treatise he wrote, Krishna Sandarbha, to make this point. And he goes through the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam, finding every verse that might seem to say otherwise and explaining it in context. And it's, it's an incredible. You, you could not even come up with all the arguments against the idea that this is the hub around which the book orbits as Jiva Goswami did, <laughs> uh, and then refuting those arguments and so forth from the text. It's a very um, huge labor of, of, of love, if you will. Um, you can imagine how relieved he was to read the Brahma Samhita, <laughs> which so, in such a focused way, so directly makes this point again and again and again, and it's, 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 there's no possibility of of misunderstanding it. So uh, we can appreciate Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's ecstasy as well in this regard upon finding the Brahma Samhita. He wants to say, yes, this is what we're saying the Bhagavatam is about. Here here, we have a document that uh, is very supportive of this. Hmm? Of course, I guess it's worth mentioning that um, the text of Brahma Samhita is somewhat unknown in other lineages um, while very prominent in ours, to the extent that some people in other lineages question the authenticity of the text in terms of it being uh, an ancient text or a revealed uh, text, and in their effort to uh, raise such doubts, they have accused Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of writing the book himself, which doesn't bother us in the least. We would think that is Shruti, that is that which emanate, in other words, that which emanates directly from Bhagwan. Um, so, um, with that, uh, some context and some history of the text, we can, we can begin to discuss the, uh, the first uh, verse. It goes like this. Ishwara Parama Krishna Satchirananda Vigraha Anadir Adir Govinda Sarvakarna Karnam The word... Uh, Ishwar, Ishwara Paramakrishna, it means Krishna is the Supreme God, the Supreme Manifestation of Divinity. So again, this is the same as saying Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam in slightly different words. If we unpack the words, we can appreciate um, the, uh, all of the ramifications, implications 
The first word, Ishwar, of course, means controller. It, it's the Sanskrit word uh, for, for God, one of the Sanskrit words for God, controller. Hmm. Um, of course, there are different methods of controlling, and there are different types of controllers. In the Bhagavad Gita, it's mentioned Ishwaraham, Aham, Bogi, depicting how um, the those who are not spiritually inclined think of themselves. Uh, we could also say to the extent to which we are not spiritually inclined, we may think of ourselves, that uh, we are the controllers. <laughs> the Bhagavad Gita underscores this kind of thinking as being very errant, very mistaken. Hmm? But we are rather preoccupied with trying to keep things under control. Hmm? To control um, our environment brings us some uh, false sense of of comfort and uh, probably because we can only do so to a very limit, limited extent and it's an ongoing effort that is uh, futile. This hand raising that you see sometimes when people chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, in a in the full sense of the term, it means I give up. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of tired of trying to use these hands like this to control, hmm? <coughs> to do what only a person with forearms could do. <laughs> Something like that. Hmm? Sometimes when the mother is taking care of the child and trying to attend to other tasks, and the child wants even more. The mother says, like, I don't have four arms. Hmm. We know that that uh, the uh, overt depiction of God within Hinduism is the four-armed form. Hmm. It means he's got everything under control. <laughs> that which human beings cannot bring under control, he has under control. So our uh, attempt to be the controller, in a, in, a, in some, you know, close off some small section of existence and manage to control it, we think will bring us some uh, some comfort. But uh, the wise see through this, and as I say, this hand raising is just giving up no hands. Hmm. We be better with no hands by putting ourselves in his hands, something like that. There's the famous story from the Mahabharat where Draupadi was being disrobed in the assembly, and her sari, her dress was being pulled. Hmm? 
And um, so she held on to her sari with one hand and raised the other in the, and called out, Oh, Govinda, Govinda. Hmm. The name for Krishna that's also found in this verse that we're discussing. And st- while she was chanting Govinda with one arm up and holding the, her dress with the other hand, it was still unraveling and she could not control it. Uh, and they were, they were trying to, uh, these uh, persons disrobe her in the public. And so she realized she, there was nothing she could do, so she let go and put both hands up and called Govinda. Hmm? And then they pulled the sari, but the more they pulled, the more sari that there was. The more they pulled on a dress, the more dress there was. She was supplied miraculously with an unlimited uh, um, amount of of cloth, and they could not disrobe her. So, in the raising of the hands and giving up, hmm, we we come in touch with the one who's actually the controller. Hmm. Krishna says in the Gita, "Boktaram yagatapasam sarvalokumaheshvaram." He says, "Everything is meant for my enjoyment. I am the controller of everything." Hmm. The implication is nothing is meant for our en- enjoyment and we can't control anything. That may make us a little uncomfortable to to hear. Hmm? But then he says in the next line, Suridam Sarvabhutanam Natvamam Shantimichati. He says, but those who accept this, who acknowledge this, everything is meant for me, that I'm the controller, that nothing's meant for you, hmm? you cannot control anything really. Hmm? they become my friend. And suddenly then you become the friend of the person who owns and controls everything. So your position is very good. Hmm? It's much easier to be the friend of the person who controls and owns everything than to try to control and own everything oneself. Hmm? So, Ishwar, but again, different types of controlling we try to control in a limited way, as I'm mentioning, which is futile. But then there are others who are more adept at controlling than ourselves. Hmm? The uh, Brahma, for example, the four-headed one, hmm? it depicts the uh, effort to control by, by action, by karma. Hmm? It's not that he's doing it... Uh, you know, he has four heads. It's not that it, uh, it means if, you, if you're trying to do a lot, control a lot of things, you have to think about a lot of things. So you need a lot of heads to think about a lot of things all at once. He's a big, a big manager. Hmm? It takes more than one head to manage, something like that. But to think deeply, on the other hand, it only requires one head and one mind. Hmm? requires many heads and many minds to think about many things and organize them. Hmm? This is Brahma. Hmm? Shiva, uh, of course, he's depicted differently. At different, at different. It's a very complex tattva, but in the way I'm speaking about it, as the Ishwar, hmm? he's a, Brahma is an Ishwar, Shiva is an Ishwar. Hmm? In this context, Shiva has the one head, hmm? and he's one mind, 
and he's thinking deeply about one thing. Hmm? That one thing is more, more comprehensive than all the things that Brahma is thinking about. Hmm? Indeed, it's, it's, it's not a thing. Hmm? It's that which makes things meaningful. Hmm? That inner, inner subjective world of consciousness. So Shiva is fixed on this. Brahma is the god of action, controlling by action. Shiva is controlling by knowledge. The latter, to control by knowledge, is much more subtle. One appears less overtly a controller, but is more comprehensively so. Just like you have your white collar crime and the blue collar, no, the blue collar crime and the white collar crime. So the white collar crime is very overt. Person comes in with a gun in the bank and that's the blue collar, excuse me, the blue collar crime. And then the white collar crime <laughs> is stealing from many bank accounts all at once. And everyone is thanking him and thinking he's the perfect gentleman and so forth. <laughs> so, uh, so by, by, by action, you may try to control and conquer the world. Hmm? Um, or by knowledge. Hmm? Knowledge is the white-collar attempt to conquer the world, to control the world. And action is the blue-collar attempt. It's very, the blue-collar attempt is very, um, it's unbecoming, it's obvious, there's no subtlety to it, you fail, uh, it's a struggle, it's an, it's, uh, Brahma has many struggles, hmm. uh, as he's depicted in, in the texts and so forth. Uh, and Shiva's sitting in one place, meditating, Hmm. His, he's controlling everything by giving everything up. Hmm. By detachment, which is the corollary of knowledge. Hmm. If you have knowledge in the real sense of the term, hmm, you are no longer in pursuit of things that don't endure. Hmm. If you want enduring life that is happy, it is not wise to pursue it in relation to things that don't endure. The acquisition of which does not bring happiness, but misery. Because even the extent to which the acquisition of a thing may bring some happiness to us, in an overarching sense, it brings us distress because we cannot keep it. Hmm. Problem. So the more you like it, the more problematic it is because we cannot keep anything. Hmm. Though the wise person gives it up. Hmm. And he becomes a master of the self. Hmm. He becomes acquainted with the self which is really the master of things, 
when separated from those things and attachment to those things. So in this way, there are different kinds of controllers, hmm? controlling by action, controlling by knowledge, by karma, by gyan. Hmm? If we go higher, we come to Narayana, the four-armed form of Krishna in Vaikuntam. Hmm? He is beyond the world. Shiva's uh, just just kind of on the border there, hmm? meditating on the world beyond. Um, as much as much as I'm just, they're all complex figures, but describing him as the example of knowledge, Brahma, very much in the world, moving amongst things and so forth. Narayan otherworldly, completely. Hmm? And the other world, then, is not a world of of taking. This is what we mean by action, by karma. Hmm? The acquiring of things, the controlling of things, is about taking from the environment. Hmm? And uh, arriving at the the false sense that something is ours. We've taken it; it's ours. If you take something, does it mean that it's yours? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we may we may think that it's ours, hmm? but the world is showing us that that. that that uh, by by taking we have nothing, actually, we have more than nothing. Hmm? <laughs> we have we have we have debt with interest uh, to pay and so forth. Hmm? Uh, we have to work harder hmm? for everything we take. We have to come back and be taken from and so and so forth. So this is not a good. Uh, proposal. And so, in a world where the action is 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 taking, there is no love, because love is about giving, not taking. Now, knowledge is the is the wisdom as to the folly of taking things and thinking that they're yours thereby. Hmm. So it involves ceasing from taking to uh, bring an end to such exploitative action. Now that's kind of an abstract form of love, not taking. But it's not, it's hardly the full face of love. Hmm? Not taking is not giving either. <laughs> Something like that. So if I agree not to take, hmm, and then you won't bother me anymore. This is the Gan mark. If I agree not to take, will you leave me alone? And I can sit just quietly, peacefully, with nothing. 
I'll take, you don't have to give me anything. I won't take anything. Just leave me alone. Hmm? Because by taking we suffer, as I explained. By taking we suffer. We acquire a thing with effort. Hmm? With some labor, some suffering, some tapa. Hmm? We, when we acquire the thing, we have to struggle that it won't be taken from us. Hmm? When it is taken from us, inevitably, by time, we have to struggle with that. Hmm? The pain of that. Hmm? So it is painful hmm? from beginning to end. Hmm? That's why the Buddha said the world is about suffering. Hmm? So let me come to knowledge. Hmm? The knowledge is don't take. Hmm? Don't even think of taking. Don't desire to take. Hmm? Even if you don't take, but you desire to take, you suffer. Hmm? It's very pragmatic. <laughs> if you desire, you have used, that's it, you're suffering immediately. I want that. Oh, then you have to suffer. Hmm? So he said, I won't want anything. I won't take anything. Will the world then just please leave me alone? Don't bother me. That means I can sit alone. No suffering. Yes, you can, you can have it. Something like that. That is some kind of progress. Hmm? Some kind of uh, moving in the direction of loving. Hmm? But Narayan, he is in the other world. Hmm? So it is not a world of taking, not a world of not taking, hmm? but it is a world of giving. Hmm? Therefore it's called Vaikuntam, which means without any anxiety. There's no taking. Hmm? There's only giving. Hmm? There's no not taking, obviously. That's included in there. Hmm? But more than that, there is now action and movement that is not exploitive. It is action that is informed by wisdom. Hmm? Therefore, the action is not taking, but the action is giving, and giving to Narayana. Hmm? So Narayana is a controller, and he is controlling, he's an Ishwar, he is controlling by, by love, but he is controlling by calculative love. Hmm? His is a world of love, calculated love. Hmm? Another way to say it is dutiful love. There, in that realm, God in the form of Narayan, he appears to be God. He has four arms. Hmm. He's very loving. Hmm. But he's loved because he is God. There is a reason factored into the loving. He's loving because he should be loved. 
because he's God. Hmm? What I want to say is that love in the full sense of the term knows no reason. This is an English saying, love knows no reason. I don't know how you say it in Polish. Hmm? Love does not answer to to reasoning. Hmm? It has a reasoning of its own, so to speak. It has a knowing that is implicit within it. Hmm? So love that is calculated, that is that is engage, giving, that is engaged in with with reasoning factored in, because it should be done. This is not the full face of love. Hmm? Therefore, not I am, even though he's controlling by love. Hmm? Is not Bhagavan Sayam. Not I am is the avatar of Krishna. Hmm? This is the meaning of Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam. Hmm? Narayan is the source of all avatars. Hmm. descents of divinity into the world. Hmm. And Krishna is the source of Narayana. Hmm. And in Krishna we find the Ishwar Parama. Ishwar Parama means the supreme Ishwar, from which all other Ishwars who control by different methods manifest. Hmm. What is his method then? His method is only by affection, by love. Hmm? And this love is not calculated love. Hmm? Therefore, the word parama also means, Ishwar para, para means excellence. Ma means Lakshmi. Hmm? It means that he is the Ishwar and is surrounded by Prema Madhurya. Hmm? Not by calculative love, but by love that knows no reason. Hmm? In that love he does not appear to be the Ishwara, even. Hmm? We are identifying him as such from an aesthetic consideration hmm? that in relation to him we find greater measure of love than we find in relation to Narayan. Narayan resides in Vaikuntha along with Lakshmi, his consort. Hmm? She's called good luck, Lakshmi, good fortune. She resides always with Narayan. So if you reside with Narayan, then good fortune will be with you, in the full sense of the term. But Krishna, as the Ishwar Parama, is described as being surrounded by many Lakshmis. Later in the same book, Brahma Samhita, it is described Lakshmi Sahasra Sata Sambrahma Sevyamano. Lakshmi Sahasra means 
thousands of Lakshmis, hmm, and they are endowed with a, with a special kind of serving disposition. Hmm? That kind of disposition that 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 gives them such intimate access with, to Krishna was desired by Lakshmi in Baikunta. Hmm? Lakshmi wanted to be able to dance with Krishna like the milkmaidens of of Goloka. Hmm? But she was unsuccessful in her effort. Hmm? It is said that Lakshmi went to Vrindavan, Tapoban, one of the forests of the Mathura Mandal, and there she performed austerities for a long time, fasting, eating only roots and and the fruits that fell from trees and so forth. This is Lakshmi. She's she's the goddess of fortune, so she's very opulent lady, uh, and very fine garments and soft bed, jewelry, cosmetics, fine, fine food, and so forth. So for Lakshmi to put on a torn cloth and perform austerities, this would be uh, unbearable for the inhabitants of Vrindab, of Vaikuntha to hear about such a thing. Lakshmi performing austerity. Hmm. Uh, yes. uh, but she did so. And so Krishna appeared before her. He said, Lakshmi, what are you doing here? She said, I want to taste the love that the, the, that the Lakshmis of Golok have, that the milkmaidens, your consorts have here. He said, oh, you cannot do it like that. This is not the way. You cannot, it's not possible. Hmm? Lakshmi is the very chaste wife of Narayan. He has only one wife, Lakshmi. She's very dedicated to her husband. Hmm? Krishna said, well, if you want to follow the way, you have to give up your husband. <laughs> and then you have to marry somebody else. <laughs> she said, that is impossible. I am Lakshmi. You have to, I have to change my identity entirely. My, I could fast, I could do austerity, but that will, be, that will not be me. Hmm? That is the point. Yes. <laughs> These Lakshmis are different. Hmm? The nature of their love hmm? is without any calculation. Hmm? Hmm? They are not serving Krishna because he's the Parameshwar. Hmm? Hmm? Simply out of love for him. Hmm? This is called Prema Madhurya, a quality that uh, Krishna possesses that is not found in Narayan. He's surrounded by devotees endowed with this kind of extraordinary love. Hmm? And indeed, 
the controller, supreme, is he who, Ishwar Param, who controls by love, in as much as love is the most powerful force, and if it's without any calculation, if they say, um, what is the term people use? Um, uncondition, unconditional love. Hmm? If someone expresses unconditional love to us, that's very powerful. Hmm? Love has the power to resolve all contradictions. Hmm? We can bring someone under our control by loving them in a much more comprehensive way than we could by any overt effort through knowing or through uh, brute force to control them. Hmm? And indeed, when we control by love, we start to appear as if we're not controlling. Isn't it? Hmm? It's very subtle, but extremely powerful. So he who is the controller supreme hmm, appears not to be the controller. Hmm. He doesn't have four heads. Hmm. He doesn't have four arms. Hmm. He's not very powerful by way of giving everything up, having nothing, the power of austerity. Hmm. No. Hmm. We look, we, and as I said, we have to look again. What does this Krishna mean? Hmm? In all of the Hindu pantheon, all of the gods and goddesses have some weapon, hmm? uh, and some some expression of their power. Hmm? And Krishna is equipped only with a flute, hmm? a flute, <laughs> wearing the peacock feather, and so forth. Uh, and what does he do? He plays. He only plays. Hmm? Ishwara Parama Krishna. Hmm? And in this verse, he qualifies the Krishna. Hmm? Krishna could mean different things. Hmm? Ishwara Parama Krishna, Satchirananda Vigraha, Anadi Radir Govinda, Sarva Karna Karna. He says, Krishna means Govinda, who plays with cows, that's what it means. Who gives pleasure to cows? Hmm. So here is the supreme controller. What does he do? He gives pleasure to cows. <laughs> it just seems to fall short. <laughs> How can? But this is what love is, because cows, as I've explained before, they are only givers. Hmm? The cows. Give to human society, hmm? uh, and for nothing. And as much as grass grows even on the concrete, in the cracks, hmm? and this is the meal, the main, the main meal of the cows. When you drive in the countryside and you see the big fields, don't you think? That is a feast. I'm looking at a feast that's just going to waste. Hmm? We should put cows on that. Hmm? Put cows on and what will, and what will they give in return for that? Hmm? So much for grass. I mean grass. 
It's, it's not a complex thing to grow grass. It grows, grows automatically. And just from eating the grass, then they give milk, and from milk, so many things. Inside of milk is butter, inside of butter is ghee, inside of milk is yogurt, cream, so many things. And even even the dung of the cow hmm, has uh, um, it, it can be used like the, uh, the the excrement of no other animal can for human um, uh, betterment. Those who know about cows know these things. <laughs> so, it, it, in, 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 if we study the cow carefully, hmm, we find it. But really, uh, in the animal came the, the personification of giving. Hmm? So Gobinda is he who, who, is, who, is, who is, is giving to the cows. Hmm? In other words, we can think, if I become only a giver, who will take care of me? I have to watch out for myself. I have to control things a little bit. If I only give, who will take care of me? Of course, if we only give, in the real sense of the term, we'll be giving to the proper center that can take. This is the idea of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. That center has to be located. And of course, if we do that, then who will take care of us? That is Govinda, who takes care of cows. Hmm? So it, he is only playing. And of course, as I've said before, to play requires power. Hmm? It's like we come here to play. We're playing here. Hmm? This is a spiritual uh, vacation. Hmm? But you had to have some power to come here. You had to have some save some money and some time is money and put that aside. Hmm? You have to tell your boss, I'm sick, I can't come to work for a week. <laughs> or you, you have to have some money in the bank or something like that. So in order to play... You have to have some power. So the God who is depicted as only playing has nothing to do, nothing to accomplish. Hmm? Overtly, he doesn't look like a controller at all. Hmm? But if we look carefully and philosophically, theologically, we find, oh, here is the supreme controller. Here is Ishwar Parama. Hmm? He is controlling by love. And he is controlled by love. Hmm? Actually, he is made of the Prem of the Lakshmis, hmm? of Radha. Hmm? Krishna is made out of, the, out of the love of the gopis, hmm? out of this Prema Madhurya. Hmm? He's born of this, constituted of this. Hmm? Therefore, he controls by this, hmm? by affection. This is, therefore, the idea, then, of the supreme controller. And, as I say, he doesn't look like a controller at all. Hmm? The more we control by love, the less we appear as a controller. Therefore, so many texts have to be written to explain what is Krishna. Hmm? So easily misunderstood hmm? but when properly understood then we have 
at our disposal something very, very valuable. Hmm? Because if we are to live ourselves by giving, hmm, really we thrive by giving. The self expands by giving and it contracts by taking. Hmm? So if we are to live by giving and we want to live in the full sense of the term, we have to give completely, comprehensively, and in order to do that, we have to find the supreme taker. Hmm? So to this Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, then see this is very important, hmm? to locate and identify hmm? amongst all possibilities in the theistic and the secular world of places to give, hmm? to find that place that is um, arguably the center. And what will it look like? Hmm? What will that center look like? Hmm? This we find, <laughs> this, it looks like Krishna. Hmm? You see? <laughs> it looks like Krishna. Hmm? Looks like someone who's not controlling at all. Looks like someone who's controlled, actually, hmm? by the love of his devotees. Indeed, he is. Hmm? <coughs> is it so hard then to, to give? It might be hard to give to an overt controller to answer and submit to the controller hmm? who appears as such. This, uh, this idea of surrender, we find uh, a little bit... Um, intimidating. Hmm? But when we actually explain Krishna, the idea, the concept, what is actually the nature of the center hmm? and why it looks as it does, hmm? then properly understood, all the inhibition, all the, 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 the reservation, the fear, hmm? the hesitation hmm? that comes to mind when we're asked to surrender, it disappears. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? If we understand Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, we be running after Krishna hmm? to give ourselves to him. Who is himself giving to everyone in a way that no one can? Like I gave the example of the, like the stomach, if you give to the stomach, it does something with the food that no other part of the body can. And what it does to the food is such that the energy from the food is distributed to every part of the body. So does anyone hesitate to surrender to the stomach and give food to the stomach? We're running to do that. We're, move, we're working to give food to the stomach without any hesitation. We don't calculate, hmm, I don't know, I, I should give it to the stomach because it's the stomach after all. <laughs> hmm? No, it is spontaneously giving without any thinking. Hmm? We're, we're, every part of the body is surrendering to the stomach. Hmm? The legs are walking to get the food, the arms are reaching to plant the food and to water the food and the head is working to to find the right season and where to plant and so on and so forth. The whole body is like, 
all to serve the stomach. Hmm? Without thinking about it, hmm? I'm subordinate to the stomach in this way. Because hmm? it's in the interest of everyone. Hmm? Properly understood, the center, giving to the center, is giving to the self. Hmm? The center supports the circumference. Hmm? Without a center, there can be no circumference. Hmm? So this is why our saints in our tradition have labored hmm, to try to explain this center hmm, and why the center is depicted and experienced as he is, as Krishna. Hmm. Uh, such is the such is the nature of the center. The center is a giver. Hmm? The center who controls by love is by out of necessity controlled by love himself. Hmm? Hmm. So again and again, this point will be brought up. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? And the more we can understand that, the more we are equipped to actually enter into. Uh, uh, the, the full idea of love. All we have to have in place hmm, other than this factor, Krishna is the center, properly understood. And properly understood means we have the energy, we have the wisdom to, to do that. It's impetus is given to, to us. Hmm? The more we can emphasize this point, the more the, ne the second point that needs to be in place will fall into place naturally. The second thing that has to be, in, needs to be in place is we have to have the center to give that can take comprehensively and then we have to give comprehensively without attaching any getting to it. Hmm? Without any, mo any motive. This is bhakti. Hmm? Shuddha bhakti. point I'm making here is the more that we actually understand the center, hmm? this piece of tattva, Krishna's two Bhagavan's for him. The more we will be, the motives within us for giving will be exhausted, will be retired. Hmm? Having the one thing in place brings the other thing into place. Having the center to give to in place, as we proportionately understand that and thereby give, the giving itself becomes more, uh, how do you say, comprehensive, exclusive, uncompromised, unmotivated, unalloyed, pure. Hmm? Therefore, Krishna says, Aham sarvasya prabhavo mata sarvam pavartate itimat bhabhajante mam udabhava samunbita in Bhagavad Gita. Those who know me as the Ishwar Parama, hmm? that from which everything is emanating, hmm? the source of everything, that one, who, those who know that, they, those people, Mudabhava hmm? Samanvita, they are e equipped to worship me with, Pujapadshita uh, Marsh is translated, Raga Samanbita, Raga Bhava Samanbita, hmm? with the kind of spontaneous uh, attraction, non-calculative, hmm? 
giving and loving that uh, that uh, emulates and follows in the wake of the prema madhurya, those type of devotees and that embodiments of that kind of love that Krishna is surrounded by in his uh, his uh, dham, in his domain. So this is some, anyway, discussion for today, this morning, on the first line of, first verse of uh, Brahma Samhita. We'll, we'll, this evening we'll have questions, and then in the mornings we'll continue discussing other lines and and verses. We could go on for a while, but our time is limited. <laughs> Stay tuned. There, any questions? He would have what? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, well, your first question about the authenticity of um, Brahma Samhita, by that you mean is it an ancient text? Is it a revealed text? Is it um, is there a book of a hundred chapters uh, where only the fifth chapter is known and available and and uh, it is uh, a, a a canon of our lineage and not necessarily a canon of other lineages and so forth um, I think that um one way, in a dynamic sense, we can establish the authenticity of the uh, Brahma Samhita is that we can demonstrate that the conclusions that, or the conclusion, the conclusions that it emphasizes so clearly we could demonstrate that these are the conclusions of Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? And therefore, it's authentic. Hmm? It's not saying something different. It doesn't have a different um, siddhanta. So that would be kind of, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a dynamic sense, as much as we can demonstrate that, for example, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam is the siddhanta of the Bhagavatam, which our whole sampradaya rests on, 
and has established itself on the basis of, hmm, um, if we can effectively, as Jiva Goswami argued, establish the supreme position of the Srimad Bhagavatam as the Pramanam Amalam, hmm, then another book, Brahma Samhita, that says the same thing hmm, is obviously authentic. Something like that. Um, otherwise, um, I don't know of any other... Um, I suppose you could look at the nature of the Sanskrit from an academic point of view and try to date it. I don't know if anyone's ever undergone that exercise um, and, uh, and, and determine what, what period it was most likely written down in and so forth. Of course, as far as we know, um, the only edition we have is a hand-copied edition through the pen of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What a valuable manuscript that would be to have. <laughs> I wonder where that is. Uh, it's been copied, obviously, since then and, and, pr- and printed. Um, it would be interesting to make a pilgrimage to the Adi Keshava Temple and uh, try to research that issue, but I'm not familiar with uh, any research that's gone on in that regard. Hmm? Um, Prigupad has made an argument that, uh, that that against the idea that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has written it, he says, because if Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had written it, he would have included Radha in it. Um, it's a good argument, but then again, Jiva Goswami, with his help, we unpacked the word parama, <laughs> to find Radha and the gopis there also in a covert uh, covert uh, sense. Your other question, you asked about verses like smartatam satatam vishnu vishmartayo ajatu chit sava vidinishedasyur etoro etoro kiva kinkara. Verse says that the one should, some the substance of all rules and regulations is to always remember Vishnu and to never forget Vishnu. And so you were asking about that, where the name of Vishnu is invoked in relation to the idea that Krishna is Swam Bhagavan. Well, first of all, uh, the verse you choose chose to make your question with is a good one in a sense because it uh, it speaks about Vaidhi Bhakti and Krishna is Swayam Bhagwan because he is uh, the the Lord of Rag Bhakti, non-calculative devotion. In other words, the, the sum and substance of all rules is to always remember Vishnu and to never forget him. Means we should remember Krishna, we should remember Vishnu and never forget him because it's a rule, because it should be done. Hmm? This is the motive behind this, pursuing this, the inspiration uh, behind this is, is calculative love. Hmm? I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's, it's, uh, it's about Vaidhi Bhakti. Hmm? So there are statements like that that speak about Vishnu and speak about Vaidhi Bhakti and, and not about Krishna. There are statements about Krishna, however, 
where the word Vishnu is invoked. One of the uh, places that comes to mind is at the end of the Rasalila. Hmm? What is that verse? Bikriditam Brajabadur Idam Chavishnu. It says that Krishna has just danced with the milkmaidens of Braj in the middle of the night and so forth. And Raj Parikshit, the king, had heard about this from the sage Sukadeva, and his mind is reeling. How to understand this, Krishna? Hmm? And so, uh, among other things, Sukadeva says to him, You should know that that play of Vishnu hmm, with the, uh, the ladies, the milkmaidens of the, of the pasture land, huh, hearing about that hmm, will take all the lust out of your heart hmm, and establish bhakti therein and so forth. And Sukadev uses the word Vishnu. Hmm, he says, he doesn't say, the play, the play of Vishnu. He wants to say, this is God. Krishna is God. Krishna, Vishnu means God, all-pervading. So, hmm? um, uh, so he, 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 he wants to... Sometimes it seems like we make the point, Krishna is God. Huh? Of course, he's more than God, but he's at least God, something like that. And so uh, this is the play of Vishnu, play of God. Think of it like this. Uh, and it has extraordinary effects because what it normally... The play between a playboy and his playmates would not take lust out of your heart, but would bring lust into your heart. And somehow this play, because it's the play of God, hmm, um, you know, God has, if God steals somebody's wife, I mean, he owns everything anyway. He's, he's the husband of their husbands, uh, so to speak. So this is called play. So that is an extraordinary thing and has extraordinary uh, implications, ramifications, and effects. Takes lust out of the heart. Hmm? Puts bhakti in the heart and so forth. So I don't know if I've answered your question entirely, but um, um, the names Vishnu and Krishna are interchangeable to some extent, and then sometimes they're not interchangeable and they need to be used specifically um, to make specific points and so forth. Krishna is Vishnu, but Vishnu is not Krishna. Something like that. <laughs> uh, Krishna is Vishnu in the full sense of the term of Vishnu, but, but Vishnu is not Krishna in the full sense of Krishna. But Vishnu is Krishna too. I mean, it's very complicated. So, what else? Another question? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, in our lineage, Gaudiya Vaishnavas, we have one Siddhanta. So it's called Beda Bed. Beda Bed means. Abed means Siddhanta. Bed means Bhava. 
Hmm? So we have one, one Siddhanta, hmm? one philosophy, one theology, one set of philosophical conclusions and theological conclusions. Hmm? For example, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam hmm? is the cornerstone of the Siddhanta, and then there are many other aspects of the Siddhanta. But there is one Siddhanta, but then there are many Bhavas. Hmm? There's Sakya Bhava, Matsalya Bhava, Madhurdhubhava, hmm? for example. On a lower level, there are many expressions of service in the world. Hmm? One may serve through hearing, through chanting, through archan, hmm? and so forth. But the Siddhanta that underlies is one. Hmm? At the same time, then, There are many different ways to talk about the one Siddhanta. So we may draw different conclusions from the same verse that posit overall the same Siddhanta. I may comment on one verse and say it means this. Another person may comment on the same verse and say it means something else. Is this two different Siddhantas? No. As long as the two conclusions are the Siddhanta <laughs> of, the, of the Sampradaya. Hmm? They may be saying it in different ways hmm? uh, or different aspects of the same Siddhanta. Hmm? I may say this verse demonstrates this aspect of the Siddhanta. Another person says, well, it's here, it, by studying it in this way, we can see it shows this aspect of the Siddhanta. So one person saying it says it means this, another person saying it means something else, but they're both understanding the verse hmm, as representing the, the overall um, theological or philosophical conclusions of the lineage. Therefore you find different translations of different verses, different purports and so forth, finding different meanings from the same verse, but all the meanings, none of the meanings contradict the overall scriptural conclusions. In a, in a crude sense, nobody translates the verse and says, and therefore this verse means that actually Ganesh is the Supreme Personality of God. I mean, Now if you want to say this verse is speaking about um, you know, about uh, Krishna's quality of of um, uh, mercy, and uh, this it, it, it demonstrates it in this way. Another person says, well, actually, it's speaking about Krishna's quality of of um, of of justice. Hmm? Those are two different opinions, but Krishna's both merciful, and he's both just. And so forth. So there's no overall contradiction. So in that sense, there is one Siddhanta, hmm? and we are to live within the philosophical parameters 
of the Siddhanta and then within that express the feelings that result from embracing the Siddhanta differently. Hmm? Therefore, there are different different uh, types of devotion. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's, for example, the different there, Sakyarasa, Basalirasa, Dasyarasa, and so forth. That's uh, one uh, prominent way of explaining it. Uh, just like you take me, for example, uh, you, so I'm a disciple of, um, of Srila Prabhupada, but um, I have a, my Siksha Guru is Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj. So I have God brothers and God sisters who are also disciples of Prabhupada. Hmm? Um, we are both Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Hmm? We're both disciples of all disciples of Prabhupada. But um, I also have a relationship with Prabhupada's God brother as my Siksha Guru. Hmm? So that is fits within the Siddhanta. One can have the one Diksha Guru, but can have another Siksha Guru. This is part of the Siddhanta, hmm? on Guru Tattva, right? Right? Hope you got that point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so therefore, I have a difference from those god brothers and god sisters, hmm? but it's not a difference in Siddhanta. Hmm? The difference is a is a feeling, hmm? Hmm? is a sentiment for a a, 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 a another sadhu. Hmm? Um, so that's beautiful because it's within the Siddhanta. If it was against the Siddhanta, then it would not be an ornament. Hmm? it would be a fault. But because it's within the Siddhanta, it should be seen as the, as a variety hmm, that's beautiful. Arguably, that, that in, in, in arguably, it could be said, I'll argue for this, that because Prabhupada had a relationship with Sridhar Maharaj, a friendly relationship, I know something about Prabhupada that, that some of my God brothers don't. Hmm? I know about the things that he saw in Sridhar Maharaj that he liked very much. <laughs> so anyway, that's just a side point. But the point is that there's a difference there, but the difference is within the Siddhanta. Therefore, it's desirable. Hmm? It's not that we go and try to find it, but if it happens, it's, it's beautiful. And we think, hmm, this is another way in which bhakti has expressed itself in relation to Guru, very beautiful. We wouldn't have expected, but here it is. So then we 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 accommodate that. In, 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 we're in the same sampradaya and so forth. This is uh, we can expect wonderful things to happen, beautiful, wonderful expressions of love. Hmm? Just like take our Prabhupada. Prabhupada has expressed his affinity for Sakyarasa. We can go. Oh, that's a problem. He should have been a gopi. Uh, that's what most people are. I mean, and that's what uh, all. It seems like the, the, the Sambhadai is focused on that primarily. And or we can say, "Wow, that's beautiful." Hmm? Such uh, such uh, variety uh, is 
exists within bhakti, it's within the siddhanta. How it happened, we can explore and think and wonder and examine it and, uh, and so forth. Hmm? So there was a little book published about that in Polish too, so you can give that out after the last, yeah. There's another, uh, we'll have to do another edition of that because we're actually, in English, adding some chapters and new appendices to that, so we'll eventually do a, a, um, another more comprehensive edition. So, does that help? Yeah, what is. Well, I, I think you, I think you want to say that this Krishna's two Bhagavan Swami is the cornerstone of the Siddhanta, which is the foundation of the society. But it's the cornerstone, so it's like the you know the main stone. Hmm? Um, but there are many aspects to Siddhanta as well. Uh, so I'm not sure if what you want to say is the best way to say it, but uh, what did you say? Every. I mean, the point is that, as far as I understood, uh, Siddhanta is actually the body of knowledge. Properly understood. Yeah. Yeah, people say all kind of things, but uh, some people may know the Siddhanta better than others, it's true. Um, it seems like it, it, it would be not so obvious. Not obvious. I think that my understanding is that Siddhanta should be something, something which is very obvious, maybe not so easy to understand. Well, there are many details to the philosophy and understanding it comprehensively. And I mean, some people may be more versed in the Siddhanta, in the theory, and in and, and, and implications than others. That's possible. Um, but there aren't two Siddhantas. So we'll stop there with that Siddhanta. And uh, we'll meet again this evening. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.